So I have talked a lot already this month about what it means to be a people of story. I've talked a lot about story, but I haven't actually told a story to you yet. And because I'm a storyteller at heart, I decided that we would cap off this exploration of story with me telling you a story, a brand new story, a story about our future, a history of our future, if you will, but not a, a chronology, not a point-by-point -point list of the things I think are going to happen. I am making absolutely no predictions today, because I work in the genres of fantasy and science fiction and allegory and, and pseudo-folk tales. That's my preferred storytelling milieu. And so I'm going to tell you a bit of an allegory, a bit of a fantasy. Because that's a lovely thing about fantasy and about science fiction, is that it has the capacity to spur our imaginations to build new and great things. There are stories that abound of Star Trek alone spurring our technical imaginations to work on things like small communicators and replicators and our Apple Watches that are now, you know, medical tricorders on our wrists and even some transporter technology that's still way far off, but people are playing with it. But beyond our technical and our scientific imagination, the best of these stories have the capacity to spur on our moral imagination, to give us some sort of pathway to think about the ways that we are living in new ways and the ways that we want to be. And because I talked last week about the need to revision from time to time, to tell a story about who we want to be in the future, that is the story I am going to tell you today. A brief history of the future told in a short, fantastic folktale, a bit of allegory to spur our imaginations for who we might be as a people. And this is just one story. It's the story the way I choose to tell it today. But I hope it spurs your own imagination about the future and your moral and your spiritual imagination as well. It was so, and it was not so, that once very long ago, the people were divided one from the other for they valued only their own small selves, and they cared little, if at all, for how their choices affected others. And as a result, the world had fractured into tiny shards. Famine, disease, hatred, and endless war spread throughout every land. And the more things fell apart, the more each person retreated into their own personal bubbles, isolated in their own cold, dark caves of the self. And this cycle went on for quite some time. More chaos led to deeper retreat, led to more chaos, and onward and downward, 
So ingrained was this cycle that the people found they knew no other way of being, and the downward spiral came to be known as just the way things are. So it came as a shock one morning when every person alone in their bubble awoke one morning with complete awareness of five other people. Where before in their consciousness they had cultivated the sense of near self, now there was a broad and a deep knowledge of five other total strangers. Not just the fact of their existence, but a running catalog of their hopes and fears, their triumphs and failures, their joys and sorrows, their talents and their struggles. And each one of those five found themselves connected to a different five, and so on, and so on. And this brought about a new kind of chaos, this sudden awareness, more frightening than the current chaos that the people had lived with for so long, because this, this was new, and it was different. And the people did not know how to live with it. At first... They tried what they always did when chaos presented itself. They tried to retreat further and further into their personal caves. But alone and isolated, with nothing but their own minds to keep them company, they found they could not escape from the awareness of those five others. So soon they gave in to that inescapable knowledge, and they let the new awareness engulf them. They got out of their own way, and they allowed themselves to know these others. And then finally, they wept. For a day and a night they wept. Wept for sorrow, for they knew now that their separation was a lie that they'd told themselves. Wept for shame and regret for how their selfishness had caused so much suffering for others. And after seven days of this new awareness, on the seventh day of these new connections, the voice sounded out of nowhere. To some it sounded like the voice of their God. To others, it was a voice that called out from the deep heart of the universe. But no matter how it sounded, it was a voice of wisdom. And authority, unavoidable, inescapable. It was the voice of all that is becoming all that shall be. And the voice said, millennia ago, we left you with one law. Love others as you love yourself. Want for others what you want for yourself. And each person heard that golden law repeated in the language of their own soul. We thought this gift of the law was enough, the voice continued. But you are as clever as you are fallible. And in time, you found the loophole, a self-justified reason for shirking the one golden law. You stopped believing that others were real. We have watched the consequences of this 
with mounting despair. But we are not the sort to give up, to simply write you off. So we have chosen to gift you all with a far more concrete object lesson. It is disconcerting, we know. Take heart. You do not have to keep this gift forever. Simply do this. Live with the knowledge of your five for one year. And when that year has passed, then and only then, may you reject our gift. And with that, the voice of all that is departed their consciences. There was outrage among some at the unwanted intrusion and the voices, terms, and conditions for the gift, especially among those who made their fortunes stoking divisions and feeding the big lie of separation. But among most of the rest was a resignation, tinged with a bit of fear, a fear that they would go mad carrying the weight of the knowledge of five other people witnessing the realness of their lives and the rippling consequences of their own choices upon those others. But they soon understood that their fears were unfounded, and their regret gave way to the clear and simple lesson that the all that is intended, the simple and stark knowledge that others are indeed real as real as they knew their own selves to be. And rather than a heavy burden, rather than a sense of carrying this unwanted weight of others, there came a sense of lightness and freedom. For the truth of others demanded no more and no less of those that carried them than the choice to simply let them be. Other people became souls to lift up and not problems to solve. And the burden that came with the understanding was found to be no burden at all. Time passed, and more and more people awakened to this lightness. And the more who awakened, the more the truth of our myriad interconnections was made plain as day. And while the choices to act for and with others living in their consciences was never easy, for nothing ever is truly easy, there was no sense of despair at the challenges. Because we were, after all, really in this together. Leaders and lawmakers started speaking of carrying their five into oval offices and legislative halls, and in town halls and halls of worship, in classrooms, boardrooms, courtrooms, and dining rooms, the ethic of carrying your five found its way into daily life, became a way of being. This was not an instant change. The people did not 
heal the fractures of the world overnight. For the world is complex, and the healing of interconnections takes generations. But in carrying their five, the people found that the biggest obstacle to change had almost completely disappeared. And they knew that the way things are did not need to be the way things always would be. And when the all that is returned, most of the people elected to continue carrying their five, but only most. Some still could not see beyond their own navels, could not imagine themselves removed from the center of the universe. They rejected the gift and retreated back into their caves. But despite their renunciation, they could never fully disconnect, for someone somewhere still carried them in their conscience. So while they gave up on the world, the world did not give up on them. And the gift persisted from then until now, granted to each young person at the cusp of maturity, who each were given the choice after a year to reject the gift or continue carrying their five. And most chose to continue carrying. And generation after generation, we repaired more and more of the fractured world and grew more and more whole as a people. And now, dear grandchild, you sit by the fire we've built out in the wilderness. You have lived with your five for nearly a year. We have told you the story as our grandparents told it to us, as our parents told it to your parents. And now, dear grandchild, you will make your choice as the sun rises to carry your five for the rest of your life or to lay them aside forever.